Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a pleasure to welcome you to this section of our study of Paul's letter to the Romans here with the Village Church in Rancho Santa Fe. I'm Jack Baca and this is our second lesson for the week of January 17th. I always enjoy greeting you with that phrase, grace to you and peace, because it's a phrase that Paul uses as he addresses his letter to the Romans. Because it's a letter and because this is uh, in some sense a smaller section of scripture that we are studying now, as opposed to the quick way that we went through Revelation last fall, I think it would be helpful for us to read the text that we are studying for any particular day. So I want to read for you from Romans 1 verses 14 through 23, and then we'll read a couple of other sections as we continue on. Paul writes, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Hence my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse, for though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Okay, let's take this apart. This is the beginning of a larger section of Paul's letter that will take us from the 14th verse of chapter 1 all the way through the 20th verse of chapter 3, and we will not finish that today. This is a section about what Paul would call God's wrath. Now, I know that word wrath has a very negative connotation in our way of thinking of it today, but Paul has a more positive view of it that we'll see in just a little bit. Here in this section, as Paul is uh, talking about the creature's reaction to creation. We, of course, are the creatures. We live within God's creation. The creature's reaction to God's creation, our way of thinking about and living in the creation, is not God's way, but instead it is the way of idolatry. We worship, therefore we follow, therefore we live by a way that is different than honoring the creator of all things. 
In much of Paul's writing, not just here in Romans, but all of his other letters, he often kind of gets excited, it seems like, and creates these huge, long, what we would call run-on sentences. And sometimes it's difficult to make sense of them. I say that in many ways, the letter to the Romans is like one long thought, a whole bunch of thoughts all strung together. Paul Ochtemeyer, the primary commentator that I'm using as we study this, says that we have a lot of subordinate clauses and sentences here for those of you who like to study English grammar. Well, let's start to take this apart, though. Paul says that he is under obligation. He is a debtor. What does he mean? He means that God has given him the job of preaching the gospel everywhere. He's under obligation to God. God has said, this is something you must do. Therefore, Paul says, I must also come and preach the gospel to those of you who are in Rome. Remember last week we said that Paul has never been to Rome, and yet here he's writing a letter telling them what the gospel is. He understands, of course, that they will have their own views, and he looks forward to sharing with them their ideas and their thoughts and their knowledge about God, and especially what God has done in Jesus Christ. But Paul also has a firm a conviction and, and a confidence in his message because he knows that it has come from God. And so he is introducing himself and, and, in a sense, laying the groundwork of his fundamental belief, the fundamental truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in the world. Well, Paul must go to Rome. Why must he go to Rome? Because he's not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, he is proud, and he's very careful not to use that word proud, but he's proud of the gospel. He wants to share this good news from God. It is God's power that is displayed and expressed in the gospel message of Jesus. And, and everyone needs to have that message. Everyone needs to know how badly wrong we have gotten life. But what an amazing thing that God in his grace has given us Jesus to show us that and to convince us and to teach us how it is that we can turn around and live a positive and productive and actually correct way of life, a way that blesses us and that does not lead into death. Well, Paul wants to preach this gospel to everyone. Because he knows that a relationship with God comes not through your birth, not through being born a Jew, which is what the Jews had taught and what Paul had believed for so long, but a relationship with God comes through our faith in God, through our knowledge of what God is doing, and then our faithfully following what God has to say. He says that we need this. We need God's righteousness because without God's righteousness, without our understanding what God wants us to do in the world and then following it, we are led into death. We're led into destructive ways of living. The world is wicked, of course. The world suppresses the truth. But in the creation, we begin to see the truth of God. And then in Jesus, that truth is revealed to us. God is full of wrath, Paul would say, because God is angry in some sense, angry that, that sin blinds us to the truth about God. God is, is filled with a righteous anger that says, this is not the way I meant it to be. I meant life to be blessed and glorious and peaceful and, and full of goodness. And but 
because of our sin, we turn it into something that it's not, something that's painful, something that's destructive, something that leads to death. And so the result of our choice of deciding to follow our own way of giving up the glory of God for a lie is, is that we become stupid. We become dark. We become ignorant. We become everything that we were not meant to be. And so Paul wants us to understand that anyone, not just Jews, but everyone else in the world, anyone can be rightly related to God through faith in what God has done in Christ. Not to do that leads us to death. This is our fundamental problem. We are sinful. We are idolatrous. We worship everything except the only thing that truly should be worshiped and followed. God's wrath, therefore, is actually grace. Because in his anger at that which takes us away from us, we be, away from him, we begin to learn the way that we are meant to go. God's wrath tells us the truth, not that we should follow our own way, but follow God's way. These are the major points of this section of Romans. Let's continue on, though. Let's read the 24th through the 32nd verses. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, and in the same way also the men, giving up natural intercourse with women, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious toward parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, yet they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Wow, what a list. It's hard to look at this list, but we have to. This is canonical scripture. We believe the word of God to us all. What is God's reaction? How does God respond to our idolatry? Idolatry is simply saying to God, God, I don't want to do it your way anymore. That's what Adam and Eve did. We want to do it our way. Well, one thing that Paul sees is that God lets us have our way. God says, I created you with free will. You have made the choice to go this direction, so go ahead and see how that works out for you. Paul discusses a problem here that has become extremely difficult in our society to talk about. He talks about sexual permissiveness or, or sexual confusion. And specifically, let's just name it for what it is, God, uh, Paul talks here about homosexuality. 
Now, I know today in our world, we understand sexuality in many different ways. Some would say ways that are more advanced or, or more clearly true than the way that Paul understood that, and maybe that's the case, but let's not take on that topic right here, right now. Let's simply say this, that Paul understands that the way God made human beings to relate to each other was male and female, and that that was the only way, and that anything other than that way expressed the confusion uh, and, and, and the, 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 the sinfulness, if you will, that is, that is in us. You may or may not agree with that, but let's make another point. Paul does not dwell on that point. Paul gives a whole long list of all the ways that we sin, and his main point is not to talk about homosexuality. It is to talk about human sin, sin that is in all of us. And so there is no way that we can stand in judgment on someone else because of their sinfulness, as Paul sees it. And so let's approach each other, even those who we think are clearly sinners in God's mind, let's approach each other with the understanding that we are sinners too. That really is Paul's main point here. He gives a, a huge long list, and it's, of course, it's not a complete list. You could go on and on and on of all the different ways that all of us fail God, all of the ways that we fail to live up to who we are meant to be. As we look at that list, surely we can find ourselves somewhere on it. If we do not, that is the primary sin, to think that we are not sinners, or to think that we are better sinners than some other sinner is. Paul's whole point here is that all have sinned, and later on he'll say this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One of the biggest sins that we commit is the sin of trying to justify our sinfulness, and say, I'm not as bad as the next guy is. Paul will have none of that. So when it comes to looking at the sin of another person, whatever you happen to think it may be, we must look at other people with the same grace and love that God has for them and that God has for us. Let's continue. Romans 2, verses 1 through 16. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. You say, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But by your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed, for he will repay according to each one's deeds. To those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. While for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, but wickedness, or who do obey the truth, 
Let me go back there. Verse 8, while for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth but wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be anguish and distress for everyone who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. All who have sinned apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous in God's sight, but the doers of the law who will be justified. When Gentiles who do not possess the law do instinctively what the law requires, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts, to which their own conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God, through Jesus Christ, will judge the secret thoughts of all. I realize this can be very confusing because Paul puts an awful lot into just a little bit of language. Let's, let's look at the big picture here. Paul says that no one is morally superior to anyone else because all sin. There are no exceptions here. This is absolute language because Paul means it to be understood in that way. No one is morally superior to anyone else because all sin. Some people see sin and they condemn the sin that's in other people and they think that by condemning the sin that's in someone else that they are being righteous. But Paul says, no, that doesn't do anything for you. Yes, it is important to see and recognize sin in everyone, but especially in ourselves. When we condemn someone else because of the evil that's in them, we actually condemn ourselves because only God has the right and the authority to condemn. Condemning someone else very easily turns into self-righteousness. And so we reserve ultimate final judgment and condemnation of others only for God. Only God is smart enough to do that. Paul makes other points, though, that are very important here. He says that God is patiently allowing us to continue sinning so that we have a chance to realize that we are sinners and a chance to repent. Paul was obviously thinking that maybe God should simply have wiped everything out and started over again. He did that once. But no, Paul says, the world continues in its terrible state because God wants the world finally to realize this is not the way to go. Paul is making another big point here about the Jews and the Greeks. That sort of confuses us sometimes. By Greek, Paul means to say everybody else who's not Jewish. The Gentiles would be another way to talk about it. Some Jews felt morally superior to everybody else in the world because they had a special relationship with God. Paul says, no, 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 don't get all hung up on that. The Jews have been given a gift from God. God said to the Jews early on, this is how you live life in the gift of the law, especially the Ten Commandments. In a sense, God was being kind to the Jews to tell them at the very beginning, this is what it's all about. But the Gentiles, Paul says, also have the law written on their hearts. Paul says anyone can look at creation and see plainly what is the best way to live, but we don't do it. We don't believe it. 
The point Paul is making here is that whether you are Jewish and already know God's law or whether you are Gentile and have a sense of what God's law is, the point is that none of us follow that law. Paul was old enough and experienced enough in the world to know by now that just knowing what God might want for us, what God does want for us, just knowing it is not enough. Those who truly know it and believe it and trust it will begin to do it. Perfectly, 100% of the time? No, of course not. But more and more so. And so Paul is building a case here, and we won't finish it today, but he's building the case that everyone has sinned. Everyone does sin. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. That's the way Paul will say it. You can look around everywhere in the world, and sometimes we say, well, that's sin, and and maybe it's not. We're not even competent to judge what sin actually is. God needs to tell us what that is. God does tell us and show us what that is. The important point is to approach each other and to approach God with humility and a willingness to learn, and then when we have learned, to hold fast to that truth and begin to follow God's way. That's where we're going to leave that for today. Let me ask you to think about this. Think about what your sin is. Don't think about anybody else's. It's enough to deal with your own. You might see someone else's sin and and realize that their sin is teaching you, but always turn it back in on yourself. Ask God to teach you what that is, and then God will lead you into the pathways of life everlasting with him. Looking forward to being with you again. And I hope that you're continuing to study, continuing to read, continuing to pray. Thanks for being with me today. Amen.